Uh, please stand for the reading of uh, God's Word. This will be Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over His present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you again, Dustin. Uh, So do open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we will be today. Uh, And so I am thankful that we have, uh, uh, we're entering into this particular piece. This is a... uh, Uh, some interesting times that uh, Paul writes about here. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be covering the armor of God. I, uh, I will take a quick thank you to, uh, to say publicly to my brother who spoke last week. Uh, Thankful that he got to come and share his testimony about what the Lord is doing in his life. Uh, If you haven't seen it, you're one of the few people that haven't because it's, it's probably gotten more views on our refuge website than anything we've ever done here. Uh, So I would encourage you to go and watch that if you haven't had a chance to do that. Thank you, Refuge, for praying for him, uh, for asking about him and encouraging him along the way in his recovery. The Lord has been very, very gracious uh, throughout all this for sure. Uh, And so here we are in Ephesians. uh, And as we look at this morning's text, uh, the Apostle Paul has several things that he wants us to understand. I would say several things that God wants uh, one of the Ephesian church and wants our church specifically today to understand about this unseen battle that we're all a part of. This unseen battle that is raging around us. And if we belong to Jesus through faith, a battle that we are all engaged in. And so I just want you to be aware of that, that whether you know it or whether you don't know it, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are engaged in a spiritual battle. Now, you've probably seen the footage on your favorite news channel about the war that rages in Ukraine, right? I mean, it's hard to turn on the news channel anywhere without seeing some of that that's going on. The Russian invasion has brought about devastation and death throughout that country. War does that. War makes, it's, it's not pretty, it's ugly, it's difficult to watch and see what goes on. And so can you imagine yourself being in the middle of a war zone? Bullets whizzing over your head, rockets, grenade shells, landmines going off all around you. It'd be frightening, wouldn't it? I think it would be. Can you imagine uh, if you were back in time? Being in the middle of a a field of knights on a horseback. Think back in those days. Whenever you might be fighting with big swords and shields and and, uh, uh, arrows zooming over your head. Whenever I was thinking about that, I was, uh, who remembers the movie 300? Remember that movie? Let me see your hand if you watched that movie. Yeah, and so the thing that I remember is, remember whenever they shot those arrows and the sky darkened and all of a sudden they put their shields up and all those arrows landed on Remember that part of the movie? I mean, just think about what that would have been like to have been fighting and waging a battle like that. But think about this. If this is even conceivable to you today, if you were to know you were headed into, say, that kind of war zone, like, the, like from the movie 300 or, or some type of uh, a battle like that, would you do so with the clothes on you have now? I mean, just look around at the people sitting next to you. Do they look like they're dressed for war today? 
I, I don't think I would wear my khakis, you know, uh, into the war zone. Uh, I think I would wear some different boots, some different shoes than I have on today. And you, pro- you ladies probably wouldn't wear your dresses uh, into war zone, I don't think. So some of y'all are, y'all, y'all are vicious with those heels and things, but, uh, but I don't think you would wear that into a war zone. So just keep this, this image in mind about this battle that we're in as we get into our text today in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And so this morning and, and throughout the next four weeks, we're going to talk about a battle. We're going to talk about a battle that's an unseen battle that you and I are in the middle of every day, a conflict for your heart, a conflict for your mind. A conflict, literally, for your very soul. Paul talks about it in our verses this morning. Look what he says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. So, so, two, so a few things that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and some things that I believe he wants us to see today as Christ followers, uh, as we engage, whether we realize it or not, in an ongoing spiritual battle every day of our life. Each of you, if you're Christians, are engaged in this battle every day. First off, he says we need to be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Now, most of you know that I am one of the owners of the yard. It's a gym in Arlington. And, uh, and so I have a business partner, and we have established this gym um, uh, many of you are members there. Many of you are engaged in the CrossFit gym that is linked with our gym as well. Uh, gyms are designed to make one stronger. Uh, you do the work, you get stronger. It's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, that, that's pretty much the way it works. Uh, having, uh, that, that's, the, that's the concept behind having a gym. Now, just having a membership at the gym does not, is not the same thing as putting in the work. Thank you. See what I'm saying? Having a membership is not the same thing as putting in the work. Owning a gym is not the same thing as putting in the work. I thought that was the key, that was the golden ticket, but it is not the golden ticket. Driving by the gym does not get you uh, what the, the things that you need from the gym by osmosis. None of that works. Anyone can have a membership, but it's actually using the membership that's the most important part. Uh, going to the gym, going to CrossFit, you do the work and you make yourself strong. Pretty straightforward, right? You do the work, you make yourself stronger. But this is not the same kind of strength that Paul is talking about in our text, okay? Not the same thing. Paul says to be strong in the Lord. Look what he says. Hang on, let me get back to this. Be strong in the Lord, in the Lord. Be strong in in the Lord. How often do you find yourself trying to be strong in the Lord in your own strength? Being strong in the Lord in your own strength. That's, that's like an oxymoron, right? Where two things can't, are, are diametrically opposed and trying to exist at the same time. Being strong in the Lord uh, in your own strength just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What do you think are good indicators that you are trying to live in your own strength? I have a list. A lack of prayer. 
a lack of reading or studying your Bible. Lack of corporate worship. Gathering with the body. Lack of communion with other believers. A lack of urgency to make disciples and share the gospel with others. This says that you are trying to do all this in your own strength. It's not the way the Christian life calls, it's not the way we're called to live the Christian life. That is an oxymoron. Trying to live the Christian life by not doing the things that I just listed. This is the very reason you continue to hear from our leaders, specifically hear from the pulpit, continue to hear from us about gospel, community, and mission. That gospel is where we anchor ourselves in the good news that Jesus rescues sinners, right? That's the good news that we, that we preach every week. If you come to Refuge, if you're new here, we have one message that we preach. It's the gospel, okay? From every part of the text, we're getting to Jesus. Because if we're preaching anything else, we ought to just skip church and go to the lake, Okay? If we're up here to entertain you, if we're up here to give you 10 steps to a good marriage, that's not what this pulpit's about. This pulpit is about the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the message that Jesus uses to save sinners. And that's what we're about here at Refuge. We want to rescue, we're we're called to be the heralds of the gospel to save people from an eternal hell. Gospel is huge. Community is big. We need one another. If you're trying to do this whole Christian thing, if you're trying to live in an isolated world where you're not around other believers, you are like, uh, our, we have an enemy that's like a roaring, roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. Guess who it's easy to devour? Those of you who are trying to do this in isolation. It's easy to devour you because you're by yourself. Well, I'm just an introvert preacher. I don't care. We don't get a pass from the scriptures. Everybody be, live in community. Live as one unless you're an introvert and just go do it yourself. That's not in the Bible. Community is huge. We need one another. I need you. You need me. We're a happy family. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. The gospel is huge. Uh, community is big. Mission is the other piece of that. That's the three words you hear at Refuge all the time. Mission is that we're called to be missionaries. That's part of our identity. That we're called to not only live like this, we're all called to, also called to herald the good news to our friends and our family and our neighbors. If you haven't shared the gospel with somebody in the last year, you're not on mission. You're just not on mission. You're not called to just coast through this thing with your golden ticket theology. You think you're going to get to heaven one day and go, hey man, I, I made it. Part of us as followers of Jesus is to make disciples who make disciples. What we call you to here at Refuge. I know that's a high bar, it seems like. Honestly, it's a low bar in the scriptures. It's the minimal stuff in the scriptures. These are vital to the spiritual battles that we are engaged in. Now, No, this is not a physical war that we're engaged in, but make no mistake, it's a war. Say this with me, we are at war. We are at war. So refuge, be strong in the Lord. Second, being strong in the Lord says to do so 
in the strength of his might. In the strength of his might. How many times do you feel defeated in trying to live the life following Jesus? You ever feel defeated? Raise your hand. I do. Sometimes we feel defeated. This thing that we're called to can seem daunting at the least. And I would say that it's impossible to live the Christian life in your own strength. It's impossible to live it in your own strength. Well, thanks for the encouragement, preacher. But I am here to encourage you today. The way to live this life that we're called to, Paul instructs us to do this in the strength of the Lord's might. Why would we try to live this life following Jesus in our own strength when the Lord tells us he's provided the Holy Spirit to help us? Why would we try to do it on our own? One commentator said, it's like choosing a hamster wheel over a nuclear reactor. You try to do it on your own, it's like you're trying to power your home with a hamster wheel. And the power of, the, of his might, it's like a nuclear reactor. Which one are you going to choose? Nuclear reactor? You with me? Okay. Well, how does that work, preacher? How do we do things in the strength of his might? Well, here's a familiar list. Uh, you might have heard this from a local pastor in the last five minutes. Uh, one... Pray. You should spend some time praying, talking with the Lord. I mean, listening to prayer is not just your laundry list of things that you need from God or your rote prayers, that, you know, the ones that you say all the time over and over again. Prayer should be an intimate relationship with the Lord going, hey, God, this is in places that I am so needy. God, here's some places that I'm failing on my own. I desperately need your help. How would you, be, how would you use me today? How should I interact in this situation? How do I reach my neighbor? How do I witness to my daughter? How do I do these things? Pray, ask, keep on asking. Here's another one you might have heard recently. Open your Bible. Read it. Now we do, there's, a, there's a daily Bible reading plan that we've put out in all kinds of places that, that, read, that we're reading through the New Testament as a church this, this, uh, uh, this year. If you go, I don't even know where to start, preacher, jump in with us there. Pastor Blake will be happy to give you that link. Read your Bible. Open it up. It's alive. The Word is alive. It feeds our soul whenever we read it. Corporate worship. It's important for you to be here. I'm so glad to see so many of you here today. I'm so glad to know that many of you are joining us online. We'd rather you come here, though. We'd rather you be in this service, in this gathering with us. Why do we want to do that? Because we get to lift our voices together. There's something about the people of God singing the truths of God. There's something about us worshiping together with people. Look, I love to sing in the car. Uh, Carol and I just went to, uh, to Nashville. We had a funeral to do uh, in Nashville. <coughs> Sorry. Had a funeral to do in Nashville. And all the way back for three hours, we sang the entire time. And we had a great time doing it. But that's not the thing, singing Greece and uh, uh, you're the one that I want. You know, that, that's, that's not the same as singing in corporate worship together. 
It's just not the same. We're singing the truths of the scripture. We are singing about who God is and who Jesus is, and we're doing it together. And there's something about when God's people sing together that just stirs our hearts and affections. And so I want to encourage you to be part of that. I want you to encourage you to gather. If you're, if you're a guest with us today because it's a Father's Day weekend uh, and you go back to your home church, sing in your home church. Well, preacher, people don't really sing loud in our home church. Well, be the first one. Be the oddball. Maybe you'll get some other people to start singing. Sing, church. Communion with other believers. It's important for you to be with other believers so you can hear their stories. You need to hear stories about what the Lord is doing and stirring in other people's lives. And, what, and you need to be able to share that same story about what God is doing in your life to encourage some other people. Listening to the Holy Spirit listening and watching him work in his power and watch God the Spirit work in and through you. That's something that needs to be a part of your regular ongoing life. Now, notice how Paul represents this strength at the beginning of verse 11. God's strength for us is like armor in a battle. Paul puts it here in verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Now again, over the next four weeks, we're going to get, dig deeper into what Paul is talking about whenever he uh, talks about the armor. We're going to talk about all the different pieces of the armor, armor and we're going to describe all these piece by piece. Uh, but think about Paul, what Paul is saying here for a moment. He says, uh, to be strengthened with God's strength is uh, like putting on armor, and that's primarily a defensive position. Armor is defensive to protect us. Look what verse 11 says in its entirety. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And I go back to, again, that whole thing in 300 where all those arrows got shot at those guys and they put up all their armor together and protect. it was a protective piece. And so I think about that whenever I read texts like this, that we have an enemy who is firing his fiery darts at us to try to limit us, to wound us, to take us out of the game, and our spiritual armor is protecting us in the middle of this spiritual battle. Why are Christians to put on the whole armor of God? Well, let's just see what he says in this text. So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, standing or standing firm, that's one of Paul's favorite phrases that he uses. He wants to encourage followers of Jesus to be strong in the Lord and to stand firm whenever we are, are called us to stand firm in the faith. But he wants us to stand, he says in these verses, against the schemes or the craftiness or the trickeration of the devil. He is out to trick us. He's out to, to move us off center. And so first, let's establish who is our enemy in this. Who is it? Right there. The devil. That's your enemy. It's a big deal to know your enemy. Know your enemy. Now, historically, there have been people who have been at odds with one another. And so let's see if you can name some of these people that have been at odds with one another. The first one is this one. Who is it? The Hatfields and who? 
Yes, the McCoys. How about this one? Muhammad Ali and, yes, Joe Frazier. Good one. How about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates? Yes. How about Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan? Yes, they were at odds with one another. How about Superman and, oh yeah, Lex Luthor. Good one. How about Austin Powers and Dr. Evil? Yes. And how about this last one? Mississippi State and the school up north. Okay. All right, so those are kind of funny. The enemy that you and I have is no laughing matter. Follower of Jesus, your enemy is the devil, okay? Your enemy is the devil. The devil in, uh, uh, in Greek is called diabolos, which means slanderer or accuser. The devil is one who is, is at work to frustrate, to do anything to stop, to be counterproductive to God's purposes in the world. He's also called Satan, a word that means adversary or the enemy. He is the accuser. And it seems like a long time ago that the devil turned his pride into someone and a something that opposes God. Look what the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul warned us that the, a potential elder of the church. He says this, he must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That's why it's so important to examine elders for such a long time to make sure that they don't get puffed up or they might think they're kind of a big deal if they get to be appointed as an elder because the scripture says that they may fall into the condemnation of our enemy. John 8, Jesus tells some of the unbelieving Jewish leaders, look what he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Anything from him is a lie. And the lies that you involve yourself in are from the devil. When you're lying and you're not telling the truth and you're being deceitful, you have fallen under his guise and his tricks to pull you into whatever it is that he's trying to do. 1 John 3.8 says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's pretty straight out. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Listen, if you're involved in some sin that you think that nobody knows about, if you think you're hiding that secret sin that nobody knows about, the Bible's very clear that whoever makes a practice of sinning, we all sin, but I'm just going to practice and I'm going to keep doing it. And come what may, I'm going to keep involving myself in this sin. You are of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Even though the devil has certain amounts of authority over the world, 
He is ultimately limited to what God allows him to do. <clears throat> In John chapter 12, Jesus calls the devil the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians, he described him as the little g, the God of this world. And in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 3, when the devil is tempting Jesus, he's able to offer the kingdoms of the world because of the power he believes in his agenda will succeed. But as we see from Job in chapters 1 and 2, a Satan cannot act unless God allows him to act. We know from the Bible that in the end, Satan will be eventually destroyed. Uh, he won't have any more authority over the world. But we need to know this, that as the father of lies, the devil's main objective is to keep people from the truth and trapped in his path of death. That's his, that's his whole plan. If you're believing lies, you're not, you're not listening to the truth of what pastors and preachers and maybe your parents or your spouse or people that love you care about and they're trying to put you on the pathway of truth and you're not listening to the truth and you're denying the truth and you're suppressing the truth and you're, you're running away from the truth, then you are and being encapsulated by our enemy, the devil, and are falling into his schemes to keep you from believing the truth to keep you on his pathway of death. We see this in the most obvious case in Genesis chapter 3 in the fall of man. And it doesn't really tell us that that is who he is, but we find out in Revelation that that's who actually that was in Genesis chapter 3, that it was Satan, our enemy. Paul encouraged Timothy. He says, correct your opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and, and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let me ask you a question. Are you on the pathway to spiritual death? Are you captured by our enemy, the devil, to do his will? Are you believing a lie about God or about your own sin? Are you believing a lie about hell? Are you believing a lie about the death that is sure to come? What is this truth that Paul speaks about? Ultimately, it's the gospel. The good news about Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, when he tells us that the God of this world was blinded has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is huge. You're not so smart if you deny God right now. Listen to me. If you're here and you're listening to my voice right now, whether you're listening online or whether you're in this room, you're not so smart if you deny God. The scriptures tell us that you are blinded. You are blinded by an enemy of your soul. This blinding comes from the father of lies, your enemy, the devil. He wants you to prevent you from seeing the beauty of the gospel. He wants to prevent you from hearing the life-saving message of the gospel. That's not me saying that. That's from the scriptures. I'm just reiterating what the scriptures teach us. Look, we need to see what, 
what verse 12 tells us something else important about the devil. Look, look in verse 11 and, and 12 together. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what we see is that this devil, this adversary is not, is not alone. There are, in fact, spiritual forces of evil. They're described as rulers and authorities and cosmic powers. And they are over this present darkness is what Paul writes in this, in this text that has engulfed the world from the very beginnings of humanity's rebellion against God. Well, who, are these rebellion, who are these enemies that we're fighting against? They seem to be angelic beings who followed the devil in his turning away and his rebellion against God. Matthew chapter 25, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Revelation chapter uh, 12, speak of the devil's angels or his rebellions that they'll be there until the final judgment. Others of his are at loose and are working and are opposing you and me today. That's why the devil is called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2 and a prince of demons in Matthew chapter 12. Demons are those fallen angels who carry out the work of Satan, our enemy. Listen to me. Demons are alive. Demons are at work to keep you from hearing and believing the gospel message that you hear from this pulpit every week. The New Testament warns us in 2 Corinthians that false religions come and make sacrifices to the devil, not to God. He tells that in 2 Corinthians. Paul warns in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that people devote themselves to the spiritual, uh, to the spiritual teachings and the deceitful spirits from demons. These demonic forces are called rulers and authorities and powers because they seem to be part of this global network of things opposing the work of Christ. They use human leaders sometimes to accomplish these purposes. Paul teaches us that we do not wrestle, though, against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against physically one another. We find ourselves doing that, but that's not what we're really doing. When we don't recognize that there are, sport, there are forces of evil at work, against God's work through, throughout the church, we can very easily find ourselves blaming other people. We can find ourselves trusting in politics and programs. We can find ourselves making an earthly battle in a fight with people whenever it might be a spiritual battle that we're actually fighting. God wants to remind us that these battles that we face are spiritual battles that are devised by our enemy to bring conflict. That hatred in your heart sometimes that flows up Many times it's just a spiritual battle. It, not just a spiritual battle, but is a spiritual battle that is being manifest in our flesh. The truth, and the truth behind this is it should drive home the fact that we desperately need strength for this battle that we're in. 
We need God's armor for this battle. I don't think any of us would go into a war zone without some type of protection, right? We wouldn't go in wearing the clothes that you have on today. I think we've established that. And so why would we enter into a spiritual battle without some spiritual armor and some spiritual protection that we need for this battle that we are engaged in, again, whether we realize it or not? We're good at getting defensive when flesh and blood attack us. But what about when the devil is trying to tear us apart, trying to destroy us, or trying to have us destroy one another? The devil is set out, sets out to kill, steal, and destroy. Peter put it this way. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Ultimately, this armor that we're called to put on is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate armor that we put on. Paul says in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Because John reminds us of the ultimate victory in 1 John chapter 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Yeah, that's the reason he came, was to destroy the works of the devil. We put on the Lord Jesus because through him, God has delivered us. Say delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 2, he says, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ because God canceled the record, say cancel, canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, say set aside, set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers, say disarmed. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them all to shame by triumphing over them at the cross. Ephesians chapter one, he says we should put on the Lord Jesus because he has gone to heaven and he is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him because he is seated above all and all authority and a power and dominion has been given to him because he will have all the things and all the people that the Father has given to him. You say we might be engaged in daily battles, but Jesus has already won the war. He's already won the war. On the cross, when Jesus suffered and died, Jesus dealt the decisive blow to our enemy. He broke the power of sin and death. And no matter what our enemy's desperate attempts are, that Jesus has won the war. He can never undo the battle that Jesus won at the cross. And this is the very strength, Christian, that Paul wants us to experience and to have and to use in this spiritual battle is the fact that Jesus, whom we trust as Christians, has won the war and has overcome death and hell and the grave. It's no wonder that the devil wants to keep people blinded to the gospel because the victory is found in Jesus. The victory is found in trusting in the finished work of Jesus a message of victory and freedom. Remember the words of one of our praise songs. I'm going to try to sing it. And Satan tempts me to despair. Tells me of the guilt within. 
Upward I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin, because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied. To look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. See, to put on the Lord Jesus means to repent of our sins. To put our faith and trust not in our own good works, but on him rescuing us from sin. Trusting that he will pardon you from that egregious sin that you found yourself in the middle of, that you think that nobody else knows about, that you hope nobody else finds out about. We look on him. He pardons us. He sets us free and empowers us to live this life in this battle that we're all engaged in. Today, we want to invite you to come to Jesus. To be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. To live in the power, with the power to overcome the darkness. That's our invitation to you today. Don't live in darkness anymore. Don't fight this battle on your own anymore. Today, come to Jesus. Let's pray.